the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One more way we assure ourselves he's coming again. Number one, you remember the word of God. You meditate on the word of God. You remember that, that though they laugh at you, Jesus said he would come again. The prophets said he would come again. The apostles said he would come again. And listen, beloved, if he came the first time, just as the prophecies predicted, literally, physically, so he's coming again the second time, just like that. Don't spiritualize it. Don't spiritualize the verses that speak of the return of Jesus Christ. That's an important admonition to keep in mind as we study God's Word. There are some passages in the Bible that clearly should not be taken literally. For example, Jesus told us that if our hand causes us to sin, we should cut it off. Well, that doesn't mesh with the rest of Scripture, so it should be clear that Jesus was using a physical picture to illustrate a spiritual truth. So we need to look at each passage in the overall context of Scripture as well as the immediate context, in order to know if it is a literal statement or a spiritual one. The mistake is when we interpret the passage, not in the context of Scripture, but in the context of our own ideas of spiritual truth. If the Bible passage does not mesh with the way we think things ought to be, then there's a temptation to interpret it spiritually. And we must be aware of that temptation so that we do not fall for it. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is a radio Bible class of the air, and it's an extension of Pastor Steve's expository or verse by verse teaching at Lakeside. Today's class is the beginning of a three-part message from 2 Peter chapter 3. It's the second of six messages in this series about the second coming of Christ. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will be teaching about three issues that relate to the second coming. They are issues that, once we resolve them, will give us great assurance and wonderful comfort. Now here is Pastor Steve with our lesson. One day towards the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus made a statement that, uh, that absolutely confused and troubled his disciples. As he and his disciples were leaving the very impressive and very opulent temple area, Jesus announced that the temple would someday be destroyed. He said this in Matthew 24, 2. He said, Now one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Now, the reason this greatly disturbed his disciples is because they expected Jesus very, very soon to uh, lead the nation of Israel to glory by establishing the messianic kingdom. They thought it could happen at any time. They thought they were on the verge of the kingdom being ushered in. But now Jesus makes a statement and announces that the temple, the greatest symbol of Israel's glory is going to be destroyed. And they're confused. They don't understand. Why will it be destroyed and when will these things happen? And so they began to ask him some questions as they left the temple area. 
They moved down the uh, Kidron Valley and then up the Mount of Olives. And while they were sitting on the Mount of Olives, they began to ask him, when will these things be and what will be the, the sign of, of the end? So Jesus took this opportunity to launch into a discourse that is known to us as the Olivet Discourse, called the Olivet Discourse because uh, it was given on the Mount of Olives. And so in this discourse, he explained to his disciples that before he established his kingdom on earth, there would have to be certain events or signs that would take place. These events would take place within the context of a great time of suffering known as the tribulation period. That's that seven-year time of suffering just prior to the return of Christ. And the suffering would be so intense that Jesus compared this time to a pregnant woman's labor pains. He said that it would be a time that has never been experienced in the history of the world, nor ever will be. In other words, it'll be such a horrible time of affliction and suffering that there's never been anything that could be compared to it, nor will there ever be anything compared to it. In fact, Jesus said it would be such a horrible time that unless God intervened and limited those days to just a, a few years, everyone, he said, on the earth would die. Everyone. But God has left it to only be a few years. Now, why is this and why will this be such a horrible time in man's history? Because according to the book of Revelation, these events or signs pointing uh, to his return are really a series of judgments, a series of judgments that God will bring on the earth, culminating in his glorious return. I want to read to you from, you don't need to turn there, but from Matthew chapter 24. Listen to what Jesus said about his return. In Matthew 24, verse 29, he said, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky. What will that sign be? His appearance will be that sign. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Jesus said that his return would be associated with judgment and with wrath. Series of, of judgments. That's why all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why are they mourning? Because they know that, that he's coming to execute wrath and judgment upon all who have spurned his love and, and rejected the gospel. And it is precisely his return, and because his return involves wrath and judgment upon unbelievers, that some people have gone to great lengths to try to discredit the return and second coming of Jesus Christ. And the, the place in the Bible, the primary place in Scripture, that God addresses this attempt to discredit Christ's return is Second Peter chapter 3. So let's turn there. Second Peter chapter 3. Now, all of this by way of introduction is to show that the return of Christ is associated with judgment, associated with wrath. It's not that he's just coming back to establish his kingdom, though that's true. It's not that he's just coming back to rescue Israel when the Bible says all the nations of the world will be turned against Jerusalem, though that's true. But he is coming back to execute judgments upon unbelievers. And Second Peter chapter 3, which we began to study last week, tells us about this. I want to read to you verses 1 through 7. Peter writes, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up 
your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, in these verses, as well as the entire chapter, Peter focuses on the return of Jesus Christ. Why? Where does this fit in? Well, the reason he's dealing with this is because the false teachers who had infiltrated the, the church, these men had denied and even mocked his return. They had, they had propagated a number of heresies, but one prominent one, one prominent heresy was the return of Christ. They mocked and said, he's not coming back. You've believed a hoax. Peter and the other apostles have made this up. It's a fable. It's a tale. And so Peter addresses this, uh, these troubled Christians to try to, uh, bring them out of confusion and try to, to deal with their doubts and troubles about this. And actually what he does is he addresses three specific issues uh, that relate to the coming of Christ to help sort out their confusion. And it may very well be that these are issues that you're troubled about and need sorting out as well. Issue number one is found in verse four, where they said, where's the promise of his coming? Because everything just continues as it always has. He's not coming again. And so first Peter deals with the specific objection made by the false teachers that Christ will not return because nothing like this has ever happened in man's history. This is the doctrine, actually the theory, it's not a doctrine so much as it is a theory of uniformitarianism. That's a big word which simply means, and, and it's propagated today by those who endorse and embrace uh, the theory of evolution, that everything just continues in a uniform manner. That natural phenomena has always been this way and we're just moving along and progressing like that and, and there's nothing supernatural that, that has ever happened and nothing supernatural that will happen. What you see is what's happening. It's always been like that, and it always will be like that. So obviously this is very relevant for us because of uh, evolutionists today who basically say the same thing. Second issue is found in, in verse, uh, verses 8 and 9, where Peter says, and I'll just paraphrase, don't be troubled by this, uh, about his, his coming. Don't be troubled by the timing of it. Yes, it's been a long time uh, in coming, but uh, the Lord is not slow about his promise. He's not slow, as some men count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish. There he deals with something that was troubling these believers, and the troubling issue was this. Why is it taking Christ so long? He said he would come again, and we've been waiting. Why hasn't he come back? If he's really coming back, then how come he's waiting so long? Maybe he's not coming after all. Pastor Steve will be right back with the third issue we face concerning the return of Christ and then go on with some great assurances for us as we face the unbelieving and even the mocking world around us. Before we move on, though, let's pause briefly to welcome those who have just tuned in. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you missed the start of our class, 
Stay tuned at the end of the lesson, and I'll give you a web address where you can hear this program again and even go back and catch up on previous programs. Today, Pastor Steve is launching into his second of six messages from 2 Peter chapter 3 about the return of Jesus Christ. Many people don't think that he's coming back. How do we know who's right, and why is there disagreement about this subject? Those are our topics on Verse by Verse as we go through this final chapter of Second Peter. Why is this such an important subject? Well, here is Pastor Steve to explain. Now, those are people in the first century who said that. 2,000 years later, do you have the same questions? Do you wonder, why is it taking so long? Well, Peter will address that, and we'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. Third issue is this. Is it really that important, what we believe about the return of Christ? I mean, why, why do we have to know where we stand? Why is it so important to understand such things as the, I'm adding to this, I'm just expanding this. Why is it so important to, to know whether you, uh, where you stand on the rapture of the church? Why is it so important to know if you're premillennial or amillennial or postmillennial or, or any of those? Why is it so important? How, how significant is it? After all, I'm just trying to make it through each day living for the Lord. Why do I have to know about his return? I'll just let it all, as someone says pan out in the end. Pan millennialism. It'll all just work out. (laughs) Well, Peter addresses that in verse 11. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? If we remove the doctrine of the coming of Christ and say it's unimportant, what we have done is we've removed a major motivating factor for godliness in our lives. That's not the only motivation, but it is a major one. And so Peter wants us to know how important it is that we understand Christ is returning and the various aspects of his return. So that's the general flow, the general direction of this third and final chapter in this letter. And last week, we began to look at the first of these three issues, and we want to continue today. And here's the issue. In light of a world that scoffs at the return of Christ, How can we have complete assurance that Jesus is coming again? How can we assure our hearts so that we don't have any doubts, we don't have any concerns or not troubled about this, even though we are exposed to a lot of people, perhaps even in our families, who tell us that what we believed about Christ is ridiculous, you've embraced a message that uh, is irrelevant. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? Well, Peter gives us, in the process of answering the scoffer's objection to the return of Christ, Peter gives us two ways to assure ourselves that Jesus is coming again. We began to look at the first one. Actually, we did look at the first one last week, and we'll quickly review, and then we'll get to the second one. How can we assure our hearts that Christ is coming again? Number one, by remembering the Word of God. By remembering the Word of God. He says in verses 1 and 2, This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, which I'm stirring up your sincere minds by way of reminder. So what he's going to do, his goal is to stir our minds up. He wants our minds to be uncontaminated from false teaching. He tells us how he's going to stir our minds up and what what we should remember. That you should remember the word spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your Apostles. Now, Peter calls us to remember two things that are revealed in the Word of God. Number one is the prophecies that the Old Testament prophets gave. These are the messianic prophecies. And as I told you last week, 
that oftentimes, in fact, most of the times, when the prophets gave a, a statement, a prediction of Messiah's coming, they, they didn't distinguish between the first and second coming. It's just Messiah's coming. That's all. And they didn't even understand all that we understand now. One Messiah, two coming. Some of the rabbis I told you last week believed that there were uh, two Messiahs because they saw such a radical change in, in his ministry and his mission. But the prophets are simply telling us that the first time he came, he would come to die as a, as a lamb sacrifice for us. He would be the Passover lamb. He would be that humble and gentle savior. But the second time he comes, he's coming to execute judgments and vengeance. And so all the prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ are in the context of judgments and vengeance. Now, that's important to keep in mind. Peter tells us, remember that. Remember that he is coming again, but he's coming to execute judgment. Secondly, what should we remember? The second thing P Peter tells us to remember is that while the Old Testament predicts Christ coming to judge mankind, the New Testament uh, commands us to beware of false prophets and teachers. I take it that's what Peter means when he says the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So he doesn't tell us what that commandment is exactly, but Based on the context, it could only be, in my judgment, uh, the only thing that really makes sense is the commandment that false teachers are coming. That's why, and I take it what he means is that uh, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false teachers. And then the apostles uh, took that and clarified it and explained it, especially the apostle Paul. So it's a commandment that beware that false teachers are coming who are going to deny the return of Christ. That's what puts this together. Why is this so significant that, that you and I remember that, that God said that there would be false prophets? Because the Lord doesn't want us to be blown away by all the opposition we get. He doesn't want us to uh, come to faith in Christ and then encounter all opposition and go, wow, I didn't think it would be like this. He wants us to remember that he predicted that it would be like this, that scoffers would come, that false teachers would come who would deny essential doctrines of the faith, one of which is the return of Christ. And that's why Peter goes on to tell us in verse three, know this. And this is all part of that prediction when Jesus said, beware of false teachers. Know this, first of all, that in the last days and we are in the last days ever since Christ's first coming is the last days. In the last days, mockers or scoffers will come with their mocking following after their own lust. Now, false teachers who he's been writing about, Peter tells us, these are the ones Jesus said to beware of. These men mock the second coming of Christ. And we went over this last week. I think the end of verse three is very significant. Why do they mock the return of Christ? Because they have an agenda. There's something behind this. Following, he says, after their lusts. That's very, very important. This explains their motivation. In other words, the reason they have such deep contempt for the doctrine of Christ's return and the judgment it will bring, that's the real issue, judgment on sin, is because they want to pursue their lusts. They, and in this case, illicit sexual pleasures without the consequences of having to face divine retribution. They don't want to own up to the fact that God is going to judge their immorality. So they mock the doctrine that speaks of the judgment of, of, of that. See, no one has a problem with the sweet babe of Bethlehem. No one has a problem with that. Who'd have a problem with a little baby being born in a manger? But they do have a problem with him growing up 
and coming back as the king to judge their sin. And because they refused to submit to God's moral standards, they attempt to discredit the doctrine of judgment by mocking Christ's return, which is the very purpose for which he is returning, at least one of the purposes, and that is to judge their sin. These false teachers even came up, according to verse 4, with an argument. We've touched upon it. Let me, let me deal with it again. This is their argument to support their mockery. They didn't just mock. They had actually, uh, they set a foundation, a basis for that. And here's what they were saying. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. They said, in essence, how can you believe such nonsense? How can you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again to judge the world? We all know that God doesn't operate like that. God is not like that. Just look around you. Ever since the beginning of time, there's never been a catastrophic event. There's never been anything like that in which God broke into history and interfered in the natural order of things. So how ridiculous to believe that at the end of history, there's going to be a catastrophic judgment at the return of of Christ. You, You see their argument? We've never seen anything like this. It's never happened before. We don't have any record of anything like this happening before. So why do you think it's going to happen now? As I told you, that is basically the same thing that evolutionists say today. There's never going to be any change. For millions of years, they say it's just been going like this, this process, and it's going to continue like this. Now, if you've ever felt a little intimidated by so-called intellectuals who have laughed and, and belittled you for your belief in the Bible as the literal word of God and have mocked you for believing something they would say as, as outdated and out of touch with reality as the return of Christ, then you can understand how Peter's readers felt. Peter's readers felt intimidated. And they needed encouragement. And they needed help. And that's exactly what Peter does. And that brings us to verses 5 through 7, which gives us one more assurance in our hearts that Christ is coming again. One more way we assure ourselves that he's coming again. Number one, you remember the word of God. You meditate on the word of God. You remember that, that though they laugh at you, Jesus said he would come again. The prophets said he would come again. The apostles said he would come again. And listen, beloved, if he came the first time, just as the prophecies predicted, literally, physically, so he's coming again the second time, just like that. Don't spiritualize it. There are even Christians today who uh, I I think wrongly interpret the scriptures that they say there won't be a physical kingdom. There won't be a literal coming again. It'll be spiritual. In fact, they would tell us that the kingdom already has come. It's in your hearts. Well, there's a truth to that. Wherever the king reigns, that's where his kingdom has come. But the Bible also says that there is a physical, literal kingdom coming. So we want to be careful about that. But these folks mocked it. With that, we need to start to wrap up the lesson for today. I hope you can join us again for our next class, though, as Pastor Steve continues this study of 2 Peter chapter 3. Thank you for listening today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been ministering since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His clear, practical messages are now available to you via this radio station and the website I'll tell you about in a moment. If you are in the Clearwater area on a Sunday morning and looking for a church, why not come in and worship with us? We would love to meet you. Lakeside Community Chapel is located in Clearwater at 1893 Sunset Point Road. That's midway between U.S. Highway 19 and the beach. 
Verse by Verse Ministries oversees the production of these daily radio Bible classes of the air. We're a faith ministry made possible by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their own local church. If you would like to hear this broadcast again, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download the audio for later listening at your convenience. If you would like to ensure that you don't miss any of the lessons, we offer a free podcasting service. You will find clear instructions for subscribing to that service at the website. There is even a complimentary newsletter available if you would like to sign up for that. It has information about verse-by-verse ministries as well as some teaching resources. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. As I mentioned earlier, this program is the first part of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message all at once, without announcements, you can order an audio CD by calling us. The number is 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. Do you ever think about how great and mighty God is? Well, Pastor Steve has some insights about how God's greatness ties in with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please join us for our next verse-by-verse and some wonderful assurances about the second coming right from the pages of Scripture. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.